Well, I have, uh, I've gotten quite nostalgic the last couple days. I guess Thanksgiving coming up, um, maybe because I'm not going to be here this Thanksgiving uh, with, my, with my family. Um, and uh, Anyway, I just started thinking about past Thanksgivings, and that took my mind to, to Theta Lewis. How many, have you, how many of you in here have never heard me mention the name Theta Lewis? Is there anyone? If you've been here very long at all, um, you know she was the lady. I'm going to bring a picture of her for you at some point so you can put a name with a face. Very simple, plain, uh, and yet profound woman uh, of, of God. She taught me many things. And one of those lessons was, was about Thanksgiving. Um, when Thanksgiving or any other holiday would come around, we, we would usually go to her house and, and have some kind of, some kind of meal. And, and she would always be thankful for everyone who, who was there, which is probably, again, why I've been thinking about her and, um, and why I'm preaching this message to you this morning rather than, rather than in the book of Exodus. Um, Theta was a, was a giver. She was a lady that that gave of herself um, no matter what her circumstances were. She she gave thanks all of the time. I mean, thanksgiving has the idea of 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 giving right tucked right in the middle of the word. Even when her body was racked with cancer, you've heard the testimony before, she would schedule her chemotherapy so she could come to church. And she would always stand and give God thanks for, for His goodness. Um, she gave of herself and her energy. She faithfully organized our, our Sunday school class and class parties. It was kind of a, a strange situation. She was the teacher of this Sunday school class. And it was kind of like some of our Sunday school classes where a group of people start when they're really young and then they grow older and they don't move on to the next Sunday school class. Do you understand what I'm talking about? So that's what happened. So Theta finds herself as the teacher of a Sunday school class, and now these people are no longer teenagers, they're no longer middle schoolers, they're like young married. So she's got this perplexing thing. She's a woman, so she doesn't want to like violate God's Word and teach married men, but she's still the Sunday school class teacher. The church doesn't want to want to throw her out of the class and doesn't want to dishonor her because she's such a godly woman. And so the way Theta handled that is she turned into like a facilitator. She would ask one of us guys to, to teach the lesson and she would keep the attendance and do the class parties. But everybody waited to hear what she would have to say to response to the lesson because it would just be always always be joyful and and filled with grace, and usually would have something to do with giving thanks or giving. She's the first person that you got a card from or a phone call from whenever you, when you miss church. Um, she gave herself her energy. She, gave a, she, she was a giving person. She gave her resources. I mean, she had very little. Her husband was, a, uh, was an insurance agent, and... Um, in, in when she gave, she she talked about it like it was this great privilege. I mean, the smile would come across her face when she would talk about 
giving to the Lord and and it it was like a joyous activity. I mean, she she made you want to do it. And for me, it was a lesson I can remember learning very vividly because it was something I'd never learned before. What I had always learned in, in life, and you've heard my testimony, what I was uh, you know, taught by culture and I guess indirectly by, uh, by, by my family was, was if you had stuff or you had money or you had power or whatever it is, that's what would make you happy in life. And, and while, you know, yes, family was in there or otherwise, but, but it was really, that gave you security and that's what you pursued. And so to, to have a woman who had nothing, health, resources or otherwise, talk about giving up herself uh, with, with a smile on her face in such a joyous way, it was, it was, quite, it was quite perplexing. And I remember just, just like yesterday, just zoning in, listening to her, Share in Sunday school class talking about her giving a testimony when she she first gave her offering to to the Lord. Um, she would actually set it aside during during the week. This wasn't a, a an afterthought or a haphazard kind of thing. She she talked about like she marked it off for the Lord. She put it in an envelope and save it, and she would have it there in her Bible and. And, and she brought it to church, and she, she physically put it in the offering plate. She liked doing it. Not that there's anything wrong with not, but that was what she, the way she did it. And, and she described it as something that made her, made her happy. I mean, it was, it was like an act of worship. And, and I remember thinking, yeah, I've never thought about giving that way. I never thought about, never thought about money that way, frankly. And I can remember, that was on a Sunday, and then I can remember sitting in my driveway on a Monday, and that's really where I began to pray. I was a young believer sitting in my pickup truck in the driveway, getting ready to pull out, and I would always go out there a few minutes early, and I would just bow my head, and I began to pray. And usually whatever happened on Sunday or whatever the sermon was on Sunday would spill over, and, and that had spilled over. That's what grabbed me, and I remember sitting there thinking, praying, before I left for work, you know, I want to be like that. I mean, even if I don't understand, I, I mean, I want that kind of joy. I want, I want to, I want to have that kind of 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 heart. And I can remember asking the Lord for that, and I can remember setting aside twenty dollars. What it was, twenty dollars, and. The next time I went to church, I did. It, it, was, it was grace operating in me that came through the testimony of Theta, who was a poor, weak woman, and yet she was full of, of Jesus Christ. And this week, in light of Thanksgiving, you're going to eat together, you're going to gather together, but what I want to challenge you this morning about is I want you to imitate God together. Because the Bible tells us that God is a giver. And a giving person is a thankful person. And a thankful person is a giving person. And when we come up this, meet, uh, this week and we meet together and we do so as a church on, on Tuesday night giving thanks, I want you to consider what it, what it really means. And I want you to, to challenge yourself even today to be a person like that.
Giving causes you to be thankful, and giving is an activity that comes from grace. A giving person is a Christ-like person. I don't think it's any mistake, besides the how succinct it is, that John 3.16 gives the character and the heart of God, and that's the verse that everybody knows. For God so loved the world that He gave. Romans 8.32 says, He freely gives us all things. He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? So if you're not there, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And as we approach Thanksgiving, I want to show you how from a testimony that's given there, just like I gave you a testimony of Theta, the Apostle Paul will give the testimony of a group of churches who in good times and bad times gave thanks to God. And I want to, want to challenge my heart and your heart this morning to cultivate gratitude and imitate God who is, who is a giver. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Let's look at verse 1 and then I'll give you the, the outline because... Verse 1 really sets up the rest of the chapter. He says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you, now pay attention to these three words, the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Notice it's churches plural, and notice it, he identifies a location. It's Macedonia, which will be, will be important to help us get the context of their circumstances, which 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 helps elaborate on why Paul is saying this is so such a great testimony. But I want you to pay attention to the fact that he says here, it is the grace of God. I want to make known to you, there's the testimony, the grace of God that was bestowed upon the churches. Now here's a testimony of several churches who are responding to circumstances unflinchingly. And they were loving greatly, and they were imitating God fearlessly. And I find from verse 2 down through verse 7, four encouragements about the grace of giving. There are four encouragements about the grace of, of giving. And the, the first one is they were sincerely generous... The second one is they were freely willing. The third one is they were passionately pursuing. And then fourth, they were completely relinquishing. Nice little preacher outline there. The important part is not all the LYs and the INGs in the outline. What is important is that you see this testimony here. And as Paul would say to the Corinthians who he's writing this letter to, and also God would say to us, go and, and do, do likewise. Now, before we ever get to the imitation part, you've got to see the source, which is why I pointed out to you the grace of God. And that's where Paul begins. The churches of Macedonia were Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea, and, and, and they were very poor people. Um, just like... Theta. We know that because 
not only from what Paul says here in the text, but also from historical sources. They, they lacked because of circumstance, and they also lacked because of Christ. They lacked because of circumstances. Philippi was, was a very important outpost on the Ignatian Way, and, and the, whole, the whole area, all of uh, everyone came through Philippi. So on one sense you would say, well, that ought to be a pretty good trade route. The problem is, throughout history, all, throughout histories, all the armies came through Philippi. Alexander the Great came through Philippi. And because of its strategic military location... The military campaigns would come through and they would pillage. The conquering soldiers really left the area ravaged. So it was, a, it was, it was an area that, that was suppressed economically because of circumstances. It wasn't because of the people. It was because of circumstances. And on top of this, he says the churches of Macedonia. So it's an area that doesn't have a lot of wealth, and then these are churches in that area, and they lacked because of Christ. Because Christians, once they professed Christ, they were at the bottom of the food chain. Okay, You will find, even now, in our culture, in our world, and it's going to get more significant, that if you associate with Christ, the first place that that the first thing that the devil's going to attack, the first thing that, that the world's going to aim at is your pocketbook, okay? You can profess Christ and, uh, and, and love Him, or you can be on television, but you can't be both. You can't take a position on biblical marriage or whatever else it is and go along and, and remain paid by the culture. That, that distinction is going to become clearer and clearer as the divide comes there. And here, it was no different in Philippi. Christians were at the bottom of the, of the food chain. And while that's true, God uses them as, as an example. Um, he said it's the grace of God. Paul calls their giving, their imitation of the Lord, grace that was bestowed. You ever think about that? You ever think about... I think one of the reasons that Theta saw it as worship is because she saw it connected to grace. I don't know how much money I have in my pocket. I've got a piece of plastic in there that covers whatever money I don't have in my pocket. That's usually the way that it works. But if I dug in my pocket and I found five $1 bills, if I gave a dollar bill out of there, I had the other five to give, other... I had the five in there to begin with. I have four more to give. And I could go through that whole thing. I could give all five dollars that were there. And, and to a certain extent, that might be a sacrifice because it left my pocket somewhere else. But here he's talking about giving is like, it's like grace. It's something that God does in, in the midst of the churches. It's, it's fueled by grace. It's motivated by grace. And Paul calls it the grace of God because the Macedonians didn't give because they had or because they didn't have, but because of what they'd received in Christ. They received the grace of God in salvation, and that was now operating in their lives. That's the difference, I think, between what Theta had and what I didn't have, and why I looked at it completely differently. When you're saved, your affections change, and your attitude towards things do, do as well. And here, God is a giver, and the grace of God, the givingness of God is, is being put on display in the churches of, of Macedonia. And because of that, 
grace, they were sincerely generous. Look at verse 2. Here is the first thing to imitate or to be encouraged by, by this testimony. They were sincerely generous. That in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality, their generosity. The word also means sincerity. I could have said they were sincerely liberal, but I didn't think that that would sound too good in our context because liberal doesn't, isn't a good word, it's a bad word. So they're sincerely generous. But the idea is that they were sincerely liberal with, with their with their heart, with their things, with, with the way they looked at stuff. And Paul's now describing what this grace looks like, and he shows us what to imitate. And here, Paul describes their, their deep poverty. He says, in a great trial of affliction, their deep poverty. He uses three words here, great ordeal and affliction. He uses three words to emphasize how bad their circumstances were. This this word means destitution. If you're in West Virginia, it would mean dirt poor. Not just poor, dirt poor. And this is not the first time the Macedonian hardship is mentioned. It wasn't just poverty, it was persecution for their faith. In Acts 17, you remember Acts 17? There was a riot that engulfed the house of Jason because of Paul's preaching there. So here, the Apostle Paul, the Gospel comes in Acts 17, and Christ starts a riot, and and Jason's house is identified where where the connection with the church, probably some of the church were meeting there. Christ, the preaching of Christ, brings this turmoil to, to, to Macedonia. And here, rather than going, man, I don't want any part of that, They're giving to Paul so he can preach more, which then brings more persecution. Paul goes on to tell us that, and them, that they can expect more persecution. Listen to what he tells the Macedonian church in in the the letter to the Philippians. Philippians 1, 29-30. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer. For His sake. I don't like that word any more than you do. I like being associated with Christ. I don't particularly care for in my humanness or in my flesh being associated with His suffering. But here it says it's been granted to them. Having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is is in me. I mean, the world around this church is is really bad, and it was severely affecting them personally. And they were not just Christians who were feeling the pinch. They'd been pinched and wrung out. And they're giving so that that can happen more. And Paul is encouraging them that this is not going to ease your suffering. This is going to increase it because it's been appointed for you to suffer for, for Christ's sake. To me, though, I think what is, what's instructive is that abundance of their joy. Look at verse 2. In great trial of affliction and their deep poverty, there's this abundance of joy that's intermingled. Their circumstances don't hinder their giving. In fact, it motivated it. 
And giving when you giving in any time is praiseworthy. It's imitating God. But giving when you're in a situation like the like the Macedonians here just magnifies that grace. What's going to happen in our world? What's going to happen next year or the year after? Is the market going to go up or is it going to go down? Is my portfolio going to get smaller, retirement portfolio going to get smaller or bigger? Is yours? I don't know. But what the Macedonians teach us is that has nothing to do with being filled with joy and that has nothing to do with being consistent in giving and imitating God as a Christian. Nothing whatsoever if you follow their testimony or example. Our imitating God is is born of grace, not of circumstances. It's fueled by joy, not the Tao, even though I like to watch it as much as you do. And I want you to miss this. There's two things here that seem opposite. This abundance of joy and their deep poverty. Extreme poverty and abundant joy don't seem to coexist in our minds, do they? And when difficulty comes or poverty comes, the world immediately thinks misery and miserly. But that's not so for the Christian. When those two things collide, eternal joy overpowers earthly circumstances. And the result is you imitate God because of grace. And that's an amazing thing. It is a perplexing thing. But it's an amazing thing. Now look at this last word here in verse 2. Here is their circumstances, the great trial of affliction and deep poverty. And the perplexing thing, the abundance of their joy was mingled in there. And that abounded, those two things together. The joy overpowered the poverty and it abounded in Riches, the riches of their liberality, the overflowing sincerity. The word can mean to be sincere or or single-minded. The idea here is is that it overflowed. They were generous, but it wasn't half-hearted. It wasn't double-minded. It wasn't like, wow, you know, I don't know whether I should give this or not. I don't, I don't know, but I know God says to do it, so I better go ahead and do it. That's not what you see the Macedonians doing. I mean, they were committed. They were sincere. They were single-minded. They were purposeful. They were like theta. They set it apart, whatever it looked like, and they worshipped with it whenever they, whenever they came. And it didn't stop whenever it got inconvenient. The antidote to any economic depression is the grace of God that overpowers circumstances. A believer's response to poverty is joy and sincere giving. Now, that's perplexing. It really is. I'm going to be with Woody for a couple days, and I was just talking and to someone about him uh, last night at an event that I was at, and I mentioned a man, a missionary named C.T. Studd. Any missionary who's named C.T. Studd is somebody that you should, you should read about and follow. This is a real guy. So I went back and I looked up the information. C.T. Studd, born in 1860, 1931, was an English missionary who served the Lord in China, India, and Africa. 
And his motto was, if Jesus Christ is God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. May my heart be like that man's. Those of you who know the story know that he was the son of a wealthy family. He was headed for professional sports. And in the midst of that, he he was converted. And when he turned 25, he inherited part of his family fortune. Now, I don't mean... Well, I mean a fortune. I mean like Bill Gates kind of fortune. And he, before he even knew the amount that he would get, he he found out, he made a decision what he was going to do with it. Before he even knew the amount left to him in the will, he gave much of it away. He found out the full amount left to him, and he presented the rest to his, to his bride at their wedding. When he got married, she, not to be outdone, proceeded to give the rest of the money away to the Lord's work. C.T. Studd called, this is what reminded me of Woody, called Christians who serve and sacrifice only in times of ease chocolate soldiers. Every true soldier, he said, is a hero. A soldier without heroism is a chocolate soldier. In peace, true soldiers are captive lions, fretting in their cages. War gives them liberty and sends them like boys bounding out of school to obtain their heart's desire or perish in the attempt. Battle is the soldier's vital breath. Peace turns him into a stooping asthmatic. War makes him a whole man again and gives him the heart, strength, and vigor of a hero. The otherwise Christian is a chocolate Christian, dissolving in water and melting at the smell of fire. Sweeties they are, bonbons, lollipops, (laughs) living their lives in a glass dish or in a cardboard box, each clad with his soft clothing, a little frilled white paper to preserve his dear little delicate constitution. You can just hear... I mean, you have to pay attention to a guy who does things like C.T. Studd. He ends his writing with this. To your knees, man, and to your Bible, decide at once, do not hedge, time flies, cease your insults to God, quit consulting flesh and blood, enlist. Here are your papers, oath of allegiance. Scratch out one side and sign the other. Mark God's endorsements underneath. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I will be a militant, a man of God, a gambler for Christ, a hero. And God promises, I am always with you. Preached in one other time. Good Lord, baptize us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Cure us of this dread plague of sleeping sickness. Very motivating words. And as we read those, I pray that God will help me be a C.T. stud. And you as well. Let me give you the second one here. They were freely willing. They go quicker. They were freely willing. Willing. Look at verse 3. 
They were sincerely generous. They were, for, they were freely willing. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, beyond their ability, they were freely willing. There it is directly from the text. It's freely voluntary. All of those things are there. All of those motivations are there. The grace of God is there. The desire to imitate God. The, the testimony of Theda, of the Macedonians, and of C.T. Studd. But then... He simply says it's a choice. That's weird, isn't it? I mean, he says it's voluntary to do such a thing, to live in such a way. It's voluntary. I mean, it's weird whenever you think about it. God could have commanded us here. that The testimony to exhort us and exhort the Corinthians in this way could have been a command. I command you. I've given you everything. But he doesn't. The testimony was they were freely willing. He could have threatened us to give. Every atom in the universe is his anyway. I'll snuff you out. I'll get you. I'll cause your car to break down. I'll make you run out of gas really soon. Whatever it might be. But he doesn't. He says they were freely willing. He could bargain with us to give. If you do this, I have the power to give you more. You sow the seed of $20.14 in 2014, it will return to you $2,014 three times, or whatever other silliness you hear on the, the Health Wealth Gospel channels. But the testimony he gives is an example, the example that he uses to motivate us are people that gave willingly. They chose. They weren't coerced. They weren't compulsed. They gave us a testimony to give freely. And they did. And Paul describes the condition of their giving with two parallel phrases. For our bear witness in verse 3 that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they chose to do it according to their ability and they chose to do it beyond their ability. They, were, they, they freely did it. This should remove all of the guilt that you feel from giving or not giving or other way and just fuel your heart to choose whatever it is that the Lord has set before you to do. They gave in their abundance. They gave in accordance with what they had. It means proportionately. And they gave beyond, which means sacrificially. And they did of their own accord. Each gave according to his ability. Each gave according to his need. And as they prospered, when they had need, but never under compulsion, imitating of God is in light of the riches of His grace. Now, the proportion of, of God's giving can't be equated to ours because His grace is, is infinite. If you're imitating God and giving in whatever way, it's sacrificial. He gave something precious. He gave His own life. But it's also voluntary, isn't it? I mean, the devil didn't stand up in heaven in some crazy, quirky way and say, I'm going to bargain with you for the souls of men, as you may have heard in songs or otherwise. God freely, voluntarily, by His own will, chose to come 
and die and lay his life down freely. And that's the imitation, that's the example of imitation that he gives to us. They gave freely. And they also passionately, they were passionately pursuing. Look at verse 4. imploring with us with much urgency that we would receive the gift. No, 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 no. No, 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 please, please. Imploring with us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and that they could participate in the fellowship of ministering to the saints. They, they passionately pursued it as a privilege. It says they, they, they implored Paul. They, they came alongside Paul. It's, it's, it's a word origin that's like the Holy Spirit. Instead of pleading with themselves, they pleaded with Paul. Instead of pleading with their own hearts to, to do the right thing, they pleaded with Paul to allow them to participate in the grace of fellowship of serving the, the saints. And this is loaded. They saw it as a privilege. Acting like God to them was a, was a favor, not a burden that they bore. They saw it that way because they saw it was, it was all about the Lord as they wanted to, to participate. And any time you give of yourself, you're participating in, in ministry in, in some ways. That same conversation I was telling you about that brought up C.T. Studd, we were talking about that listening, you know, we've got hope for the homestead coming up. And while everyone who participated, you would hear testimonies of great joy, you know, going with their kids to the store to fill up the box. The, the greatest testimonies came from the people that actually delivered the boxes. The people that, that not everybody could do this because it was in the middle of the day and some were working and otherwise, but, but the people that, that just came in with a smile, just just tattooed on their face, they couldn't get it off, were the people that actually got to carry the boxes to someone's home because they were the ones that rang the doorbell and, and got the privilege of participating in handing that to someone else and, and, and seeing the, the child that got it or, or seeing the family that, that received it and, and seeing their face and, and returning. And, and, and those people saw it as a, as a privilege to privilege of fellowship in that in that ministry. And it's fun. I mean, if you get if you get a hold of this passage, it can liberate you. It can make your your service unto the Lord, your giving unto the Lord a joyful thing. If you remember back knowing someone in our congregation was hurting deeply. And I can remember Tracy and I praying about what to do and get going to the bank and getting a cashier's check to where it, nobody would know who it was from and putting it in an envelope and waiting till just the right moment because you obviously don't want to put something like that, you know, out in the open. We put it on the car windshield under the under the the uh, the windshield wiper and then we hid, sit in our vehicle, pretending like we were, you know, looking on the radio. Number one, to make sure somebody didn't come and get it. It's a significant amount of money. And number two, 
to get to see their faces whenever they opened it up. And I can remember them just beginning to... I can remember the the man being dumbfounded. And I can remember him handing it to his wife. Just She's like, what? What? You can see her mouth. Like, what? What's wrong? Because, I mean, the look on his face was just, just overwhelmed because they had been praying about the situation. And she she opened up and looked at it and immediately burst into tears. That is something that I have treasured and still, even today, treasure. That is a privilege. It wasn't mine, it was the Lord's. They were completely relinquishing. Let me give you the last one here. And I think here... You say, well, how do you do this? I think the answer is found in verse 5 and where the grace of God comes from. Here's the source. The source of the way they acted was the grace of God. What is the source of the grace of God? I think it's found in verse 5. They were completely relinquishing. And not only as they had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord. And then to us by the will of God. They gave themselves first to the Lord. And that's where it starts, isn't it? This is not like a chronology, but a but a but the precedence for their giving. They they saw giving as a natural outflow of what they'd already been given. And to them it was worship. If you want any giving to be joyful, if you want it to be willing, then you see it as an act of worship because they've given themselves wholeheartedly to the Lord and then and then they follow. Giving is a natural outflow of worship and it's the will of God. Now Paul here had a, had a an offering that they were taking up for a church. And they gave themselves to the Lord, and then they gave themselves to the ministry, to this task that Paul had by the will of God. They, they relinquished themselves to the Lord, and then they relinquished their gift. That verse right there is, is both the source and also what you're to do after it turns loose from your hands. When you turn it loose, you don't leave it on a on the end of a, a fishing pole. You relinquish yourself to the Lord and you relinquish your gift as as it goes. And in verse six, so we urge Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. Now, this is a letter written to the Corinthians. And Titus is in Corinth, and Paul is using this testimony to encourage the Corinthians to complete this grace in them as well. You think God wants to complete this grace in me, in you? Yeah. That's why this is written. That's why this testimony is given, and the Corinthians could hardly miss the implication. They were not poor or under hard times like the Macedonians. 
who begged for the privilege to participate. Titus was sent to encourage them to complete the grace of giving that was done. Four encouragements. Began with the testimony about Theta. Continued with the testimony inscripturated from the church. And we're left with the command to complete this grace in us as well. Let's bow together. It's your opportunity to respond to the Word. We're going to talk about that tonight. How should we respond to the Word? How should we call people to respond to the Word? And here you have an opportunity to participate in that. Are you single-minded? Do you feel that way, whether it's your time, your service? Have you desired to, to hide and watch somebody open an envelope where they have a great need and you get the privilege to participate in it? Do you see it as something that you that you freely do? You you willing? You're not. You don't. This is not a, a compulsion. Are you completely relinquishing? Start in that pattern. Give yourself completely to the Lord, and then to the will of God in these matters. Oh, Father, as I. I come and pray. I pray for myself. Thank you for the memories. Thank you for this dear lady that lived out the gospel of Christ before me. Thank you for this church that's done that before us. Thank you for the many people here. What a what an awesome church Timberlake is. And yet, Father, we want to excel um, in your grace. And so, Lord. Help me to apply this message even as I think about Thanksgiving this week. Help me to remember that a thankful person is a giving person and a giving person is a thankful person. And Father, there's probably people here that don't even know the Lord. Help them to understand that, that this is an act of worship that flows out of first surrendering their heart to You. It won't even make sense to them until they bow the knee and allow you to give to them what they need, which is a new heart. Because you have given the greatest gift ever, your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in His name I pray and ask these things. Amen.